Okay, everyone. Welcome to the Secrets of Story podcast. I'm Matt Bird. I'm James Kennedy. And this is our theme music. Okay, everybody. Welcome back to the Secrets of Story podcast. I am Matt Bird. I am the author of The Secrets of Story, Innovative Tools for Perfecting Your Fiction and Captivating Readers. This is James Kennedy. James Kennedy is the author of... Oh, The Order of Oddfish, but who knows? We may not be introducing them that way for that much longer. We'll see. But <laughs> They're going to take my book away from me. <laughs> we're going to soon, we're going to say, like, this is James who, whom history has forgotten. That's what we'll soon be saying about James. We I've are, taken two hits so far. How many more do you want to give me? We are all turned around here, guys. We did a podcast, two podcasts ago, about Hollywoodization, where we talked about Total Recall and Minority Report, and then we recorded a free story idea, which is something we usually do. When I was cutting the episode, we were already like 80 minutes in, and I said, I've got to cut out the free story idea, which is a shame because it was the only time we ever tied the free story idea into that show's topic. That episode ended up ending without any mention of free story ideas, which I know must have panicked you all. But now we're finally going to hear the missing free story idea from that episode. We're going to go ahead and play you that 14 minutes of audio. And then it's a special treat for you guys today. My least favorite episode of this podcast was the Leica episode we did, where James... Even though that's the episode that caused the most people to respond online. James took one of my free story ideas and wrote it, and then we we played audio of him doing a radio play of it while I then added in notes. And I thought it was a disastrous episode. It was two and a half hours long. And then if you go to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, they're like, oh, if you like this podcast, you'll particularly like this episode. So whatever Apple Podcast algorithm they have says that that's one of our best episodes, which mortifies me. But pleases James, I think. Because it's true. I mean, it has a lot of creativity in it, a lot of verve. I, so James has been after me ever since to surrender up one of my manuscripts to the same process. And I've been reluctant to do so for various reasons. Because your story ideas break every single one of your rules. I, well, or, yeah, I think you're either going to attack me for saying they break my rules, which makes me a hypocrite, or they follow my rules and fail, and that that proves that my rules are terrible. But in either you're way, the- either way, you're a hero because you are descending from Olympus where you just kind of like throw out random laws and you are actually getting into the arena and you have some skin in the game and you are you're, you're joining the struggle. Okay, so at this point, let's go ahead and play the 14 minutes of Missing Audio from last week where I pitched a story idea and James did a very good job of yes-handing it and figuring out where it needed to go and really gave me some really good advice for this terrible story idea I had had from 10 years before. So let's go ahead and play that. So let me go ahead and pitch you this free story idea that I'm going to hand out to America, that America can take. It's called Involuntary. This is a a thing that you've already written. This was a thing. I I technically wrote it. I'm not going to say I wrote it because I wrote it so quick and so slapdash and so dirty to qualify for a contest. It was a very cynical thing for me to do. I knew the idea wasn't ready, but I thought maybe I could win this contest because it wasn't open to a lot of people. (laughs) And so I'm embarrassed by the whole thing. But it was a good idea, and that's why America should take the idea from me. This was based on an article in The New Yorker about how someone who was studying psychopaths and was the first person to study psychopaths with a PET scan and would put psychopaths in a PET scan and then would ask some questions about their personal history and their views on life and would then see if their brains were different from other people's brains. Okay. And determined that they were, that these were people who were 
incapable of feeling empathy. These well, were people very who were, to minority report. Yes, the, these were people who were incapable of. You know, there was something wrong with their brains that caused them to not be able to empathize which made with them more other human beings, which made them predisposed to psych- psychopathy. Okay. And so then he decided, if I'm really going to do this work, I've got to take my, I've got to create like the world's really first portable pet scan machine that can be loaded onto a truck and can go into a prison. Mm-hmm. I've got to go to where the psychopaths are and load, load the prisoners into this machine in the prison. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a thriller. You're, it? So you have this woman who is doing this thing and she's a you know, nationwide brilliant person and then this other uh, psychology student uh, is... Uh, this young woman psychology student, she's like, oh, I get to work with this brilliant woman. This will be so great. We're going to go to this prison. We're going to do these tests. Once she's in there, she's interviewing the these scary criminals. They're going through. And then one of them is just totally different from the others. And it's clear that he was falsely accused. He was falsely convicted. And that he is like, computer and he's like, oh, thank God you can hook me up to this machine. And you can see that my brain is totally different from the rest of these guys. Mm-hmm. And this is the way I'll be able to prove my innocence is by taking part of this study. And she's like, oh, well, let's see if that's the case. And then she determines, oh, that is the case. And then she's like trying, and already the woman who's running the study is like acting really weird. And she's like, uh, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, it's part of just being a jerk boss, but also acting weird. And eventually, I'll cut to the chase, what she eventually realizes is that the woman who's running the study is working with the for-profit prison and that they are funding her research because... If they can prove that psychopathy is involuntary, which is the name of the screenplay, is involuntary that that if people have, if psychopaths have brains that are different from ours, that then people will realize there's no hope of rehabilitation, there's no hope of these people ever being able to enter the workforce, and then you'll get what the private prisons want most of all, is they want to be able to keep people in jail longer than their sentences. They want to they wanna have, like, sure, people complete their sentences, but they have to stay in jail because we can give them a brain scan, which proves that they should never get out and that they're faking the data on this day. You know, they're tweaking the data in order to create this thing that the funders want to hear. And so then this winds up coming out while they're stuck in the prison for the weekend, while there's, like, you know, a blizzard coming or something like that, I forget, and the prisoners find out that this whole thing is a setup to keep them in prison forever. And then I guess the people who run the prison now at this point realize, okay, now the assistant knows what's going on. She's got to be killed, so mm-hmm. we're going to set her up to be killed by the prisoners after telling Wait, them. Why would the I'm prison, trying to remember. Why would the, why after would the, telling why would the that, minimum wage guards have a, any stake in this? Of, Wanting to uphold the prison system. What do you mean? That's the guard's whole economic self-interest is in upholding No, the but in system. an abstract way. This is a very <laughs> abstract story. Yeah. I don't know what the personal and fundamental goals of the protagonist come into this. It seems like you started with, like, this protagonist has this kind of, like, idle curiosity or this academic curiosity. But then very quickly you go to this very abstract and very broad and very large-scale problem but we haven't kept down to, we, we're not down to like, you know, Hannibal Lecter insulting, you know, Clarice Starling's shoes, yeah. which is where we need to be. Yeah. That, that's my problem with it. Yeah. It's, it's a very sketchy idea. Lightly sketched idea. You need a character. I need a character. Yeah. yeah and and like, it never had like, a strong character. It never like, had a strong heroine. Like, like, uh, I think you've given us a story that it goes up to the end of the first act 
Like, yeah, the, the, you know, I've basically like, just given you a first act. Yeah, y- you know, but like, I, I and also the idea of like a, a a blizzard coming in. This was an unformed idea. I should not have written it when I wrote it. I, I mm-hmm. knew it wasn't ready to be written. You know, I think that there is. You know, there is meat here for an emotional story that just hasn't been developed. So there's some kind of, like, quant. <laughs> That's a terrible mixed metaphor. <laughs> we need to develop the meat. The meat has not been developed. There's a, girl, there's a woman. She's a uh-huh. quant. She believes in numbers. Yes. She has never... She's upper middle class. She's never been to a prison before. Yes. I think that the key emotional relationship in the story is when she realizes this guy has been falsely accused and is, is does not belong in prison. That you know, happens at the midpoint. I think it happens before that, maybe, but uh, I think it happens like no, because she thinks he's guilty all the way up to the midpoint, and then at the midpoint she realizes that she he's innocent. Once she decides this guy's innocent, that's like the one quarter point. I think that that's when she's like becomes sort of a committed person, going like, okay, I'm in opposition to my boss now. I'm gonna. Well, I don't think she realizes yet she's an opposition boss, but she realizes like, okay, I've got a mission. What skin in the game does her boss have with just this one guy being guilty? She's been paid to produce this data that says that these people should never get in prison. But one and person doesn't matter. You just yeah. got like hundreds and hundreds of people. What does it matter if one person is guilty or innocent? Yeah, I know. It's not Well, it's okay, not strong hold enough. on. It, it is strong enough if it's like a big media case. Yeah, there creates some reason why this one case has to be guilty. In order for, or else the whole scheme's gonna fall apart. Now, how do we get out of this prison? Can we, do we have to, or is it the Green Mile we're spending the entire well, yeah. time in a prison? So, even as I was pitching you the story, the whole idea of you know, a blizzard hits or something where uh-huh. they can't leave or they can't call on cell phones, it feels just really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> that feels, that is, I, <laughs> you say, a that is not, hits, it takes, and therefore they can't. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, even as I was pitching it to you, as soon as I get to like the blizzard, it's not working. This is essentially part of my problem with Spielberg's Minority Report is that you have this very, heady intellectual premise Mm -hmm. and then how do you then make that work with a human story like how do you 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 do it flawlessly and you go on to the next movie okay exactly yes and then you make uh jurassic park the lost world which is a perfect (laughs) film just about you know it's hard to see how anything could be wrong with that just say the terminal (laughs) the terminal indiana jones (laughs) and the kingdom of the crystal skulls okay oh my god this guy is made 80 percent of the movies has made have been great uh, so, you know, so you've got, I think involuntary is a good title. I think this is a good idea. The mm-hmm. idea of studying the brains and what are the, what are the potential, yeah, you know, physically problems happening. with society. Then you just kind of, and then I think, I think the idea of having it set in a prison and the prisoners finding out that they're being set up to be kept in prison. And then. And then, then I'll tell you what has to happen. What? If it's set in a prison, the prisoners have to riot and they have yeah. to take over. Yeah. And they have to. Yeah. That basically, they, they that's basically to, what They happens. have to. Turn the tables on the scientists. Yeah. And that has to happen at the midpoint. So no blizzard. No. Don't. <laughs> I know. It, 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 just like in the Seinfeld, you shouldn't become a butler for somebody. <laughs> become a butler. So take out the blizzard. Uh, the, the, riot the, midpoint, should be, the riot the, should be the issue. The, 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 they that find should be out what's keeping them there. The, That's what's keeping them from Basically, the main character is not the, a scientist. It's the prisoner. And when they oh. find out there's some kind of scam going on, that's some entering into the world of adventure. Yeah. And they cross a threshold by starting a riot, yeah. which comes to a catharsis at the midpoint, at the very middle of the movie, in which they somehow get what they want. Yeah. Maybe freedom, maybe this, maybe that, I don't know. But then they pay a heavy price. Yeah. 
<laughs> Something like that. They returned to their former situation <laughs> having changed. They find the hidden weapon in the cave. No, 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 uh, no. That's, not, that's, that's different. I think we've got the juicy elements of a good thriller here, but I had this idea and then tossed it off all within a couple of weeks. I never thought it through. I never grappled with it. I knew I had not nailed it. Well, what is And then the thing, I moved on. What is but the thing that... They, should, should I hand this idea out to America right well, now? Well, hold on. I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That she has this pet scan that will say uh-huh. whether or not somebody is a psychopath is a psychopath that is something that happens in beat two so uh-huh. therefore if you look across dan Harmon's circle at beat six that's when the weapon that you you have in beat two they right. come across the circle and so this pet scan is a thing that comes into paying a heavy price right something happens with the pet scan after the riot that like she said oh but i can do something with the pet scan and yeah. it causes something awful to happen. Right. The person she cares about the most dies. Yeah. Or something happens. And then the true ordeal occurs after that, which brings her back in which she's changed. Yeah. Or, and, and he's changed. Right? So I guess, is this a two-hander? Maybe it, Maybe it turns out that I think it would have to turn out he is guilty. She uses the PET scan. Mm-hmm. She's looking at the PET scan data. And she realizes that it's going to come out at some point that the pet scan doesn't work. The pet mm-hmm. scan can't tell whether you're yeah. guilty or innocent. And so, yeah, that's what happens. Because we have to have a necessary skepticism of, she, like... If at the quarter point, it's her realizing this guy's innocent. And then mm-hmm. in the midpoint, realizing, like, well, this guy's innocent, then this whole thing is a scam. And then when she blows the whistle, that results in the riot. The riot happens at the midpoint. And then she is saying, like, I can quell this riot by assuring them that we, we're not here to... that. If they trust the data, it's all going to be fine. If they trust the data, that's her thing. And then she then realizes at the three-quarter point, oh, this whole guy who convinced me, mm-hmm. you know, he was manipulating the machine. He was manipulating the data. He it was manipulating me. The machine or the data has to be something like a blood knife. It has to be something like... Right. It, it can't be through the machine that she realizes that he's guilty. Right, it's right, right. Like much more visceral and yeah, straightforward. Bloody knife. Yeah. It's he, a bloody knife. He killed somebody. He, he kills somebody. He's like... Oh, yeah. she walks in on him killing somebody. Yeah. She realizes that like, he is oh a psychopath. God. My machine yeah. was not sufficient to yes. solve this problem. Yes. I thought that my smarts, my technocratic idea could solve problems. It can't. Humanity is too messy and crazy and weird. Like, psychopaths can be charming. Yeah. Terrible people, that, or, or, or even, or also uh, people who seem to be awful, could actually be good. Yeah. There could be another character like that who's moving in that direction. She meets somebody who's like multiple Migs or something in the beginning of Sons <laughs> yeah. of the Lambs, and it turns out, oh, he was just like, well, yeah. whatever. You, no, you, no, no. You, you see what <laughs> I'm saying? But no, I think that's the way it has to go. I think Dan Harmon has totally saved the day here. I think that just you using Dan Harmon, you're like, wait, okay, how would this thing in Beat 2 be flipped in Beat 6? And that's the way to do it. Yeah, I think you have saved this idea. Not so much that I'm going to write it, but I think that as we hand this idea to America, I think you've saved this idea. The this thing, is working. I feel like this it, is good. It works, but the thing that's missing from it is any humanity. It's like yeah. we have clockwork characters. We're moving to a clockwork plot. It's like it's, this is couldn't be further from like Lady Bird, you know, like, <laughs> like, which is like I would say like a perfect movie. It's just like here's a particular person with particular problems. Like only she would feel this way about Not. like the Dave Matthews band, you know. And but here's the thing: you laugh, but in Silence of the Lambs, Clarice Starling has a very particular point of view. She's yeah. from the sticks. She has this purse. She wears these shoes. 
she her she had this memory of her dad. You've got and, and also Hannibal Lecter. He wants this view. He feels he wants the Chianti. He doesn't want the Pinot Noir. He, you know, like he, right. he, he he's he's got particular tastes. He's a particular kind of person. We need particular characters to make this worthwhile. I think before even thinking even a minute more about the plot. So the good news is I don't have to do any of that because I'm giving this idea away. Okay, thus ends the tape from a couple weeks ago. I thought that was going to be part of that episode, and that was going to be the end of it. I was going to give it away. But then around the same time, I was realizing I had to cut that James, actually, in Spider-Man. I'm like, this is probably the screenplay of mine. I remembered it as being the worst. And I'm like, could I take James's notes and take some of my theories, which I've formulated since I wrote the screenplay 10 or 12 years ago, and try to make it work? Now, I decided I would ignore James's advice that don't go one more word without making it a personal story. Because I think that's a really, I think that's a really hard rule. That's a really hard rule to follow. To say that a thriller, I mean, do you really think Silence of the Lambs came from, this is a book about a girl who's embarrassed by her shoes and what's the most natural thing to happen to a girl who's embarrassed by her shoes? Well, she would probably end up defeating the serial killer I mean, I think the being embarrassed by your shoes came pretty late in the game with Silence of the Lambs. I think that it was, he wrote the plot, and then he wrote character. Okay. And so what I did is I went ahead and I wrote, I did not write a whole screenplay like James did with Leica. I just wrote a single-space, three-page document Mm. of what would happen, a beat sheet of what would happen in 30 beats of this screenplay. I'm not going to go ahead and watch MSNBC all weekend watching Walk Up to warn the voices of people in prisons. I'm not going to do that. But Which is what you've recommended on your blog. Oh, yeah. Obviously, if I was going to write it, I would be watching Walk Up constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that show most you know, evil about studying psychopaths. I'd you know what occurred to me? Shows. This is like a reverse minority report. Well, yeah. That one was about arresting people who had not committed crimes yet uh, because the computer said they might. And this movie is about using computers to keep people locked up who have already served their sentences. So I went ahead and I wrote this and I figured we could have had James read it in advance and give me notes, but I figured let's just try it live. You know, as as the great Bill O'Reilly once said, screw it, we're doing it live. I'm going to go ahead and just read this thing to James and just as with like a, he's just going to jump in and give notes. I think we were working great in that audio you just heard. I think we read Yes Anding. We were building something better together. I want to keep doing that today. I am not positing this as a great screenplay. I am, in some ways, I'm positing this as something that intentionally did not follow all of your rules. And is still, I sort of wrote the external version of it, the less character-driven version of it, and I have a more character-driven version of it that I don't like as much because I just get so sick of heroes always having to have some trauma in their past. And well, I feel like, like they that's... don't always have to have trauma in their past. I feel like, like but nobody I feel like... in Aliens except for Ripley has trauma in her past. So, so at first I wrote the no trauma in her past version, and then I figured one thing we can talk about is should we go ahead and add the sort of obvious trauma in her past, which we could add. So let's go ahead and have me read this thing. Okay. You just can jump in after each point. I'm gonna each of these is a scene, so I'm gonna describe a scene, and then you can jump in. So involuntary outline, scene one. Amy, age 22, is a psychology grad student at a prestigious university. She and her postdoc boyfriend, Jason, 24, are cooking an elaborate dinner together as she excitedly tells him the premature good news. She's sure that her world-famous professor is going to invite her along to the big prison psychopath study. 
Jason questions whether studying psychopathy is a good career path for anyone. Can I halt you right there? Yes. What time is this? What era is Modern it? day. Modern right day. Now. Okay. Go on. Questions whether psychopathy is a good career path for Amy. Amy points out that Jason is studying upper class ennui while she's actually studying good and evil, so he has no business belittling her career path. When she's saying this, she's chopping a cucumber with more and more agitation, and on the last word of standing up for herself, she slices into her finger and blood spurts out. Okay, that's so the one. So there, there's some tension in this relationship. Yes. She, she doesn't really respect what he studies, and he doesn't really understand what she studies. Yeah, or respect it. Yeah. People who study psychopathy are looked down on, and he's oh, trying I, to warn her I didn't her get that, that from what you just said, that yeah. they're looked down on. Well, well, we find that out more later. Okay, go on. That's, that's more of a hint. Okay, scene two, finger bandage. Amy eagerly arrives early for lecture to ask Professor Maria Coletta, age 45, if she's made her decision about the big study yet. Coletta is annoyed to see Amy and tells her that she did a shit job grading undergrad papers because she didn't apply a curve. Amy sheepishly replies that the papers were too good to arbitrarily mark half of them down. Coletta says she read a few herself, and they were shit, so she read them all and regraded them, which was time she didn't have. She's going to have Amy fired from her TA ship. Amy feels humiliated. Ah, uh, this is the, uh, the social humiliation. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, so we, we, we know who the hero is in the beginning. Now we've seen the social humiliation. Yes. Moving on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to plot this onto your, your yes. points. Yes. And, and this is very much me doing what you're afraid I'm going to do. This is very much me going like, okay, let's actually work backwards from the checklist for once. Let's sort of, uh, you know, However, what is, what is check it, off the checklist as what, we go along. When, when do we start to like her um, or, or find her compelling? Has, you already do. <laughs> uh, because she's standing up for her, her career path against her, like, kind of like... Uh, Chris Pratt kind of boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because because she's being belittled because she's if we have to believe Karen invest right now we mainly care because we've seen her humiliated twice in terms of believing that's something you really can't get in an outline she just has to have lots of little specific details gotcha. you know she's cooking she's uh-huh. somebody who you know has stuff she likes to do and wants to do mm-hmm. rather than just have a conversation that helps us with believe we're not investing yet let's get there so Professor Clintus speaks to her class and talks about psychopathy. She says, people say we cannot and should not study psychopathy because they're such good liars, so nothing they say about themselves can be trusted. But that's no longer true because people cannot lie to my PET scan. When they lie, their brain chemistry lights up on the scanner and it's obvious. She asks who is willing to drink a radioactive smoothie and try to fool her from inside the machine. Only Amy is willing to try it. Claudia smirks and says fine. She tells them all to meet in the lab in an hour after Amy's shake has taken effect. What if instead of smirking, she kind of gains a little respect for her at this point? Like she kind of like... She changes a little bit. That's coming. Okay. So an hour later, Amy is in the scary machine, and Coletta is at the controls as all the grad students watch. Coletta asks Amy sadistic questions about who she likes in the class, if she ever cheats on men, etc. Amy tells some lies out of embarrassment. Coletta then asks Amy what her scan looks like. Amy decides to tell the truth. She is able to describe her brain chemistry perfectly, including when she was lying and when each area of her brain lit up on the machine. Coletta is impressed both at Amy's skill and at her willing to humiliate herself to impress her professor. To impress her professor or to be, to have fidelity to the truth. Yeah. That it's, it's, I don't think it's instrumental to impress her professor, which is not so meritorious. I right. Well, meritorious I mean, I think that this is motivating. I just pointed that out to motivate why the professor brings her along. Like the professor uh-huh. is bringing her along, you know, not just as reward for her goodness, but also, you know, because like, oh, this is someone who I can bring along to my scheme. 
Is there a way that uh, Jason can be passing by and kind of be looking in on this? Well, that's what that's what happens next. So after class, Conan invites Amy to come along on the study after all. Next scene, Amy goes to Jason with the good news. He says the whole school knows that she has admitted to kissing another guy at a party last year. She says that she had already admitted that to him. He says that she should have lied. She says you can't lie to the PET scan. He says that's bullshit. PET scans are just modern-day phrenology machines. Okay, good, good Susan. Wait, uh, uh, let me finish this. She says that she wants him to clear his stuff out of her apartment by the time she's back. So th- there's a clash of philosophies now. Yes. She has this ultimate like kind of like faith in technology yes. to tell the truth about things, and she puts her herself on the line by telling him to clear out. And and you have it seems undermotivated so far that she's telling him to clear out though. I mean, it's because she feels like he's belittling. That's an argument they've had a million times. Yeah. What what, what is the thing that like? That, I mean, maybe it just comes out in the writing of this particular situation that like he just goes over the line and calls her something or whatever. Yeah. The, I uh, um, I may have to if I wrote it, I would have to bump it up. I would have to have some line that he crosses that mm-hmm. yeah, preferably the line that we knew in advance that if he crossed would be bad. Uh-huh. Or if he crosses it here, and we don't know why it's so bad, and then later on we find out why that's such a bad line to cross. Yeah, yeah. Um, this might be a setup rather than a, it's hard to do a payoff this early yes. in a thing. In fact, it might seem too mechanical. However, if this thing that we thought was going to be a payoff actually make that a setup. Yeah. For something later on, I can already see it. This is like a um, you talk about real life national pain. Yeah. That people make decisions based on false numbers. Yeah. Just the fact that a number exists gives people the justification to do the thing that they wanted to do anyway. Yeah. This, uh, um, and, and so th- th- that's a, that's a th- this ex- exaltation of false numbers is a real problem in our society. And I think this kind of plays to your yeah. um, your rule, which is what, what, what's, the, what's the rule about real-life national yeah. pain? Yes. All stories should touch on real-life national pain. That right. story should have an element of real-life national pain because that makes the stories much more meaningful. And, and the tech, technology dehumanizing people and kind of like uh, dissolving human relations in favor of data. Yeah. Okay. So basically now we're in act two. Scene seven. Amy and Coletta drive six hours to the prison, the nearest prison that would let them come in. Coletta opens up about her struggles as a woman studying psychopathy and seems more human. Um, is this like a, a, this is a federal prison? No, it's a private prison. It's a private prison. So yeah, but is it part of the federal or state system? I don't know. I haven't decided that. Scene eight, they install the Can PET scan in the prison. Can you what this machine looks like? Yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I think it's basically like a U-Haul truck. I think they've got a U-Haul truck. But is, is it like an MRI? Yeah, it's you, an MRI. You, you, you put it on a slab and yeah. you get like, I, it, I'm trying to, it's a type movies of, being movies, I'm thinking about the visuals of it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading a lot of scenes of somebody going in a slab and going to a hole and, and, and then just people talking about it. Yeah. No, uh, it's so, a problem. <laughs> I, but here's the thing. Since it's about a new technology, you can do new weird things. It could be something more exotic that's more fun to watch. It could be. I think PET scans are pretty scary. As a guy who's had a lot of PET scans, pretty scary being trapped in that thing. I think it's you can get good you, visuals out of it. Is it. How visual is it? Because if you, you can just get see really good visuals a person on a slab goes into a hole and then they just sit there, Think about the scene in The Exorcist yeah. in which they're trying to medically figure out what's going wrong with her and there's all those kind of like weird robotic arms whirling around yeah. her and it, it, it's a very nightmarish and weird image. It's something I think about even now. And, yeah. um, you could think of some weird visual. It's true. Uh, um, that's better than a person on a slab going into a hole and just sitting there. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be very claustrophobic. It can be good. So they install the pet scan in the prison. They meet Warden Jeffers, who seems like a sexist jerk. Coletta subtly... Oh, okay, this is Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah, very much yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Coletta subtly humiliates him, which Amy thinks is awesome. Amy and Coletta are going to stay in an unused part of the prison for the weekend. Okay, scene nine. Amy asks Coletta how they got the prisoners to participate. What, what is their relationship between Amy and Coletta right now? They're wary so they've, allies? They've bonded. At this point, they have bonded. Amy has earned Coletta's respect. Coletta has earned Amy's respect. At this point, it's girl power. Women taking on the world, taking down the establishment, the psychiatric establishment, bringing but, uh, data. I, I, I see, they, they, it seems to me that so far they're just trying to fit themselves into the establishment. Since when are they trying to... Well, as I was saying, this idea that, you know, you shouldn't study psychopaths. This okay. idea that, you know, that psychopaths, you, because they everything they say is a lie. And there's this idea that you shouldn't study psychopathy because psychiatry is for people who want to change. And is this psychopaths, a there's nothing. This. Yeah, this is sort of a common idea that there's nothing wrong with psychopaths. That they are people who are functioning at a higher level than the rest <clears throat> of us, and you know, Wait, that's are an not orthodox view. Yeah, I mean, the that idea the that psychopaths are right and we're wrong. That not that they're right and we're wrong, but that they're not people who want to change. They're not people who see themselves as having a problem, and that psychiatry they don't see can't as having a problem. But we see we them do as having yes. A problem. But can psychiatry help people who do not see themselves as having a problem? But that's you, that, that descriptive thing is different than the normative I mean, thing you said is, a second ago. This is how the show The Sopranos ended. The show The, Sopranos, the, show the Sopranos ended with finally Dr. Melfi's therapist, played by Peter Bogdanovich, said like, no, look, there's been a lot of studies recently about how you should not have a psychopath in therapy because the psychopath will just learn more about how to manipulate the world. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, there's nothing, you know, they don't see anything wrong with themselves. They, they have no reason to change or get better. They're just, you're just going to be giving them more tools to, to do evil with. Okay. And so then she drops him. And then because he did not get Melfi's advice, he is seemingly killed in the final moments okay. of the show. This was sort of based on that controversy. So Amy and Coletta like each other now. Yeah. So they like each other now. Even though it's probably been very clear that Coletta is a horrible human being. And is has, wait, wait, I mean, she was it? she was very sadistic to poor Amy when Amy was on the PET scan machine. She was very sadistic. Uh, I don't quite read that yet. I, I think it's like a, a professor showboating in that way and like in, forcing her to admit that she's cheated on men. No, but and, but Amy, uh, um, she volunteered for this. Yeah, very much um, so. And, and she, and I think Amy, if 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 Coletta is going to credit her at all. She would, there's a reason why nobody else volunteered for this. Yeah. Like, Amy knew what she was in for and probably deep down wanted to do it. Yeah. And yeah. wanted to get these truths out. And I, uh, I, I don't think huh. Coletta is yet, I don't think the audience yet reads her as a bad person. They might read her as a boundary pusher, but they don't read her as a bad person yet. Um, At least is the way that I'm okay. seeing it so far. All right. Nor uh, should they because uh, yeah. we, we, that, it's, more, it's better if you have two people who are appealing yeah. together rather than one person and like a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't want her to seem like a total bad guy yet. So Amy asked Coletta how she got the prisoners to participate. Coletta says that that part was easy. She told them that they could use the machine to clear their name. That's going to get us what we want, wires. So then, montage. Amy and Coletta have prisoners in the PET scan and ask them about their crimes. Some claim to be innocent, but the PET scan reveals that they're lying. A big, scary-looking guy named Johnston is angry that the machine contradicts what he's saying. Others claim to be contrite, and when they're asked to show remorse for their crimes, they do a good imitation of remorse, but the machine reveals that the part of their brain that is supposed to show remorse is flat, and it's all fake. Others claim to be insane, but the machine shows them to be cunning. Amy is impressed by what Coletta can tell about them. 
and Kalenda is impressed by what Amy has learned when she takes over the machine. Visually, how do we see that the machine is giving these results? I mean, we're just going to see they just have a brain that lights up. Some parts light up blue and red and green. And then Coletta and just says this. Yeah, the audience is going to just see a brain lighting up and then is just going to have to hear Coletta or Amy sort of silence the lambs when Chloe Starling and her boss are quizzing each other about the crime scene. They're going, you know, there will be an element of that here. That Coletta is quizzing her and then she is trying to pass the quiz so that it's a way to get this information I'm out I'm interested there. in the physicality of this machine. Are they restrained when they're in it? Yeah, very much so. Okay, so they could like struggle against restraints and kind of like, you know, almost break them or buckle it or yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, certainly it, people freak the fuck out when they're in this. Uh, <laughs> so, so it might even be causing them pain to be in it. Yeah. Like they didn't expect there to be pain, but there is. Well, and you've just... Mental and physical pain. And you've just drunk in a radioactive smoothie. <laughs> it's uh, They keep the little smoothie shake inside a little fridge and they surround the fridge with stacking lead blocks that are stacked up like, mm-hmm. like kindergarten. And then they have to unstack the lead box to take the smoothie well, out of the fridge. Have, when she has, when she drinks the radioactive smoothie earlier, yeah, she's like, "Is this safe to drink?" And she's like, "Well, only if you drink one in your entire life." <laughs> you you know what I mean? It's yeah. like Chernobyl. Okay, Kalinda is impressed by what Amy has learned when she takes over the machine. Kalinda is called away by Warden Jeffers, but trusts Amy enough now to let her continue without her. Amy meets a prisoner named Reeves, who's very different from the others. Reeves seems innocent. But Amy doubts that until the PET scan clearly shows him to be telling the truth. Okay, how do you prove a negative? That's one of the things I've been wondering from the very beginning. I mean, the whole idea of a PET scan lie detector test is very controversial. A certain part of your brain lights up when you're telling the truth, and a certain part of your brain lights up when you're lying. When he says he's innocent, the part of the brain that lights up when you're telling the truth lights up, and when he says, and then I suppose you could have a, you know, they could try to get him to say he did it to see if the part of the brain that lights up when he's lying lights up, and it seems to very much prove it. So... He says he's been living a nightmare since his false accusation, and now he's so glad she's there because this will help him prove he was wrongly convicted. She says maybe they can help him with this data. What was he convicted of? I don't know. I haven't figured it out. Wait, hold on. This is important. Yeah. Could it be something that's kind of related to her life? Yeah. Could it be like sexual assault, and she's a sexual assault survivor? I mean, I don't want to be so reductive. Yeah, but But that's the problem, is how reductive do we want to get? I mean, so I'll go ahead and tell you, like... I I feel like the natural element to add to this is that, say, when she was a kid, her dad killed her mom. Mm-hmm. And that she, her dad then wanted her to visit in prison so he could try to explain. And she was never willing to visit her father in prison to hear his explanations of why mm-hmm. he killed her mom or what happened or even just an apology from him about how he's so sorry she destroyed her life. And she was never willing to enter prison to talk to her father. And I feel like that's the natural backstory here. And it just makes me groan. To even say it. What if her father was wrongfully accused? Yeah, which would be, that would be different. That that might be, I feel like... That would motivate her more to be yeah, interested to in this Yeah, to respond kind of to this guy. Well, okay, can you I think that's interesting. Me? Okay, so let's, let's bracket that, the idea that her father was wrongfully accused uh-huh. and convicted and he had to go to prison. But here's another thing. In Science of the Lambs, when it comes out and... and and Hannibal Lecter finally gets her confession about what her trauma is. What is it in Silence it's, of the Lambs? It's the silence of the lambs. It's it's about seeing lambs get slaughtered. So it's a little bit orthogonal to her life, right? It's yeah, not I don't a, know what that word means. It's not mechanically related to any True. particular trauma that she has. True. You know what I mean? It's It's a human... And kind of skew or like like it's not re- directly relevant to the plot thing. She just like she would hear these lambs get slaughtered, 
and that was sad for her. And it was almost explained. It's not even referred to at all up to that moment of the plot. If I remember Silence of the Lambs correctly, it's not like, like her father was a cop, right? Mm-hmm. But like this whole idea of butchering the lambs is not directly relevant. There's a right. kind of like a, a fuzziness, a squishiness, a scuzziness between them. And so that's what you're reacting against. That, it's like, you're right. It, it can't be so mechanical. However, it can be something. It can be something, yeah. And I and think so it has Silence to be of the something. Lambs, it's a it's a simple metaphor. A metaphor is so powerful. It was the actual title of the book. We're what I mean to, to say is that her trauma, uh, I think, ha- have its own vector. It's not it doesn't have to do directly with the plot. I think you're right. I'm sort of rebelling against that idea because it's too it's too on the nose. Okay, but so I wrote this version specifically without that. I okay. this is the version without any trauma in her past, and then we can always add it. But back uh, in. but also her father could have been wrongfully accused yes and that motivates her which would totally reverse that and might work better pulling in that direction instead of pulling in the other direction okay she says maybe they can help him with his data amy finds Claudia and explains about reeves's case but Claudia is really agitated by this Claudia tells amy she's a sap she tears up reeves's data and says she'll put him back in the machine tomorrow and prove he was lying Claudia disappears again what do you mean disappears again when did she disappear before she was called away by the warden so Amy returns to the PET scan machine. She tries to pull the data from the system log, but she finds discrepancy between the data that was recorded and what she saw. She calls Jason, her postdoc boyfriend, back home and says her suspicions. She suspects that Coletta is tweaking her data, but she's not sure why. Jason says that she should get out of there. Amy says no, there's bound to be a good explanation. I don't understand why she calls Jason of all people. She's freaking out. (laughs) Then then there should have been... uh, So far we've seen her making a dinner and arguing with him. No. And then we've seen him uh, say being mad at her no. and her storming out. So we haven't seen any kind of real intimacy between these two people in which she would reach out to him in her no. moment of kind of... The, I, so I wonder if even like when he, in the first scene, says, ha ha, phrenology, she kind of laughs along with him or something. No. Well, you, you know, like, just like have them like each other. Yeah, I think, yeah, when you when you write a beat sheet, you know, you're cutting things down to the bone. And originally, even in this beat sheet, I, I had more back and forth between them. And I said, oh, this doesn't read as well to have you go like, well, you know, because I, I had him point out originally in this beat sheet, like, uh, she's a real asshole. You know, you do not want to work with her. She's infamous. So that's one reason why she calls him is because he had one of the things that had turned her off that had, had upset her is when he had said uh, that woman's a real asshole. You shouldn't work with her. And, of course, you know, she's like, oh, they always say that about women in business. You know, they always say that uh, you shouldn't work with her. She's difficult. You shouldn't work with her. And that had sort of pissed Amy off to hear that. He could put his foot in his mouth. And he's like, you can't work with her. She's a real asshole. Well, but why not? Well, you'll be fine. You're an asshole, too. What? Yeah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they, they, something they, that, that... You can, like, get those things that kind of, like, start small and turn into a snowball in a way it's hard to say in a beat sheet, but it's just, like, con- like contingent on the particularities of one conversation. I one you time I, mean? I one time tried to compliment a girlfriend of mine by calling her a battle axe. She did not like that. That is not a compliment <laughs> in any out, context. It turns out that's not a compliment. Ba- battle axe is not, like, badass. And, uh, battle axe means a middle-aged woman who is a mean... I think specifically I complimented her to her father as being a battle ex. That's um, never a compliment. <laughs> that is not a compliment. She did not appreciate that. Um, that that relationship didn't last. Smooth Matt Bird. <laughs> not married to that. Not married to that woman today. Um, okay, so <laughs> she calls Jason. Jason says this is a bad situation. You should get out of there. She's like, no, I'm sure, it's a good explanation. She hangs up. Amy goes back to get an explanation from Cleta, but she finds that Cleta's meeting with the warden, and Amy decides to listen from outside the door. Amy finds out the truth. 
Oh, you're you think it's cliche to listen from outside the door? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Nevertheless, I, I, she I didn't listens say from anything. The door. I just <laughs> she drew sighed. My you breath sighed. Sharply. You drew in your breath sharply. <laughs> Uh, so, Amy points out the truth. The private prison is funding the research to achieve one goal. They want to be able to keep prisoners locked up past the end of their sentences. If it can be proven that they're incurable psychopaths, the prison can make the case that they should never be released. They want a PET scan of Cloyd's design in every prison to keep the prisoners from ever being released, and that would make Cloyd wildly wealthy. A guard catches Amy spying on them. They realize that she's heard everything. Amy gets away. The warden turns on the device that blocks all cell phone signals going in and out of the prison. They send out the guards to search for and kill Amy. Then they'll blame what? it on... Okay. Killer. Okay. This, this just got soup. This just. It's escalated. a thriller, man. It's okay. a thriller. Things have escalated. Yeah. They send out the guards to search for and kill Amy. Then they'll blame it on an escaped prisoner who might just be killed during his arrest. Okay. Um. Okay. Let me, let me think about this. This is like a big moment. Uh, well, where are we in the plot right now? Where. Time wise, are we in the movie? Yeah. I would say we're about 40 minutes in. To a tour movie. Okay, so she's still adapting the situation. She yeah. has not yet like met the goddess. There is no goddess. Yeah, she's not yet gotten the thing that she wanted that she's been working for all this time. Like, what is no. she working for? What is the problem? Big problem she's trying to solve up to this point. It's already changed. You know, I think at first she wanted respect. Her mm. first goal is to be this part is, of the study no, and no, get respect. Up to up to you. Like, this is the big problem they're trying to solve is never just going for some abstract thing like freedom or respect right. it's always trying to solve a very particular problem like yeah. i gotta i gotta save that princess he, luke is not like i i want to be self-actualized he's right. like i want to save that princess so she is trying to save this prince she so is what is the to, particular thing she's trying to do she's trying to prove that the data is always right which means that this guy is telling the truth which means that she has to free this guy from prison so i think all of that should happen before this moment she uh, should commit to freeing him yeah, because this is this is kind of like an ass-kicking moment in which everything yeah. turns bad for her. Yeah. And people are running after her and trying to kill her, and this is like some climactic stuff. We live in a society in which people are already imprisoned for a long time for small yeah. infractions. We don't need to tweak reality to uh -huh. make prisons more unjust. So <laughs> That's why we make movies. No, but, but, why we make thrillers. But, I mean, say, like, it's just like, it's almost like making movies like, what if we made a machine that made white people racist? <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it, it's no, don't do that. Imagine the consequences. Like, like, what if we did? What if we made some kind of machine that made prisons unjust? <laughs> like, like, it's like well, that, that 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 ship already sailed, man. Like, like they don't need a machine to do that. It's true. That's 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 like saying you could say the same thing about get out you should go like you know what if we made a machine that that trapped black people in their in their brains and uh kept them from no matter how much they scream no one would hear them it's like well, well that already yeah, exists no, no, but, but i, I don't think i don't think movie. i don't think this is like this is the same <laughs> you must take my meaning i but i think that's what so much of horror is about i think it's like let's take a real life horror and extrapolate it into a more then, you know then, then it has to be at this point version. it was like at this point, it can't just be a... There has to be a jumping up to the next level. So uh -huh. it's like, look, we have all these prisoners here. The PET scan proves that they have to be in here. We're going to expand the program yeah. to go out into society and PET scan people <laughs> and tell them they should be in prison anyway. You, you know, they, there has to be some kind of, like, stepping up. Basically, this, this PET scan is just like, well, we're really going to um, kind of confirm the status quo. 
But that's not enough of a the villains advancing the game. No. You know what I mean? There has to be because all they're doing is once you've got somebody in prison, you just got them in prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like oh, we've got a machine that really shows that they should be in prison. Once they're in the system, they're done for. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? I mean, obviously, we're sort of taking that idea and we're building it. Anyway, all right. But let's. I point taken. Let's keep going. Oh, well, so, here, can I just say one more thing? Yes. What if? Amy sees out Coletta, and Coletta says, oh, come in. And they all have this conversation, and Amy's just sitting there. Because Coletta assumes that Amy would be down with it. Yeah, that that might be a... And, and that, that, certainly, listening through the door is a hard cliche to justify, and that would be a more, you know, a creepier and maybe more badass way to do the scene. Yeah, just like Amy's... Coletta's like, oh, Amy, you're down with the struggle. Yeah. You know, like, you, you, you're part of this. And just like... And, and then, like, Amy can kind of, like... I don't think this should. This scene should end with Amy running away and people already trying to, trying kill, to kill her, her uh, at, at this point. However, I mean, you're going to tell the story the way you want to tell it, and right. I don't want to get in the way of that. But I'm just like want to register right now. This is too early for people to start shooting at her. It seems like things have escalated too quickly. Okay. So okay, Amy finds a set of master keys in the guard room. She realizes she needs an ally. She finds Reeves' cell and lets him out. She tells him everything that's going on. He tells her that he can get her to an office with a landline so that she can call out. Okay, I need to stop right there. Yeah. How do prison cells work? Do they work with a no. literal <laughs> key? There, there's usually a computer that opens those doors and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I think we've got... They, they, how does the world really work? You, yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, it can be something where, you know, you, there's some... I see you, you, she's running into a room, she's getting a, a ring <laughs> with some skeleton keys on it, and she puts it into a hole, and uh, the audience will not be on board. They're like, the it's weird in a world where there's PET scans that can right. tell whether or not you're it a psychopath, be... but they're still putting a skeleton key in a door. It would have to be something with, like, a, you know, magnetic pads, you know, a magnetic scan card or something like that. Something or like there, that. there's a computer that she can press a button and yeah. that door opens, but it can't something be... Something like that. She grabs yeah, some keys. And she opens the door. Can't okay, be fine, James. What? What? No, no. That's a good note. You can't <laughs> say an, okay, fine. That is an Just excellent note. Thank that you. is an excellent note. Thank you, James. Uh, so she tells him everything that's going on. He tells her that he can get her to an office where there's a landline that she can call out. In the palace of the prison, they're confronted by the guards. Reeves helps her fight the guards. They get a taser away from the guards and tase the guards one by one, then cuff them to the pipes. And so the Reeves the must have some very powerful fighting skills. Yeah, because Reeves she is, certainly doesn't. Yeah. So he really shows who he is in terms of, like, a fighter. Well, and that's the other thing that you end up always doing in these movies. You're like, oh, she's taking Krav Maga self-defense classes. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. you always have to sort of... She eventually has to be good in a fight as well, because, of course, they're eventually uh, going to come to blows. Okay, so they get a taser away from the guard and tase the guards one by one, then cuff them to pipes. They get to the place where they can call out, but Coletta is there. Coletta tries to win Amy back. Amy stands up to Coletta, and Reeves ties her up. Amy calls the nearby police an hour away and tells them the guards tried to kidnap her because she knows about a criminal conspiracy to keep the prisoners in jail after their sentences are up. A prisoner on janitor duty overhears her. There's another overhearing. More like, overhearing. Wait, yes. so the prisoners are just doing their normal life while everybody is, like, fighting each other. Yeah, they and, would and probably be on lockdown. It, it, on janitor duty doesn't really work. But somehow, somehow a prisoner has to overhear this at some point. So they get to a place they can call, but Coletta is there. Yeah. She's just, like, standing Coletta, in the Coletta knows she's going to try to find the one landline. So Coletta tries to win her back. What's her? What's Coletta's motivation here? Like, what? Well, Coletta stands on my account of money, and she thinks, this is sort of the scene you were talking about before. You you sort of were combining this with before, and you were going, like, 
Koda should just try to win her over right away and go like, look, Amy, you should get on board with this. And that's happening here. Koda is going like, you know, making a case to Amy, like, there's nothing I'm doing that's wrong. You should get on board with this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can all make a lot of money. It's going to be fun. It's it's so material, the fact that we could make a lot of money. I, I think there should be something more to it. Even people who, like, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't say, I'm running Facebook because I want to make a lot of money. He always says, I'm running Facebook because I want to connect people and change the world. You know what I mean? But people, he's when lying. people try, yeah, and Coletta also, when people oh, try I to justify the things that they're doing, they don't say, you oh, okay. should do this because we can make a lot of money. They I see say, what you're saying. We should she do should... this because we can change the world, we can make it better. Whether they're lying or not, this is the way people talk. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's that's good. And also, that should be her pitch. It, it should not, she should not mention money. And this is like your thing again and again. You're like, say, oh, Han Solo, he came back and saved Luke because he wanted a medal so he could hawk it. <laughs> you literally said that in a previous podcast. It was like, you, your marks has gone so deep that you can't see anything beyond purely materialist explanations of things. I uh, I also said that Raskolnikov killed the old woman because uh, she owed him money. Oh my god. I, I, um, I, I, your be, most shameful moment. Because he owed her money. Um, so shameful for you. Okay, so where were we? Wow, I, I, all I just saw is as Amy waits and I immediately locked up and turned into a turtle. The, <laughs> the, the, the hero, as the hero waits for something to happen. As Amy waits for the police. As Amy waits. I <laughs> know. No, I give that note to people all the time. Like, never have your hero wait around for anything. As Amy waits for the police, word spreads like wildfire in the prison about the prison company's plan to never let them out. And they realize that most of the guards are still chained up in the basement. And they riot. The warden tries to stop them, and they kill the warden. The police arrive, but the prisoners don't let them in. Where are we in, in like, say, I know this might not apply to this story, but if you had to... Where are we in the Dan Harmon story circle right now? Are we still adapting the situation, or have we gotten what we wanted, or are we paying the price? This is, well, I mean, Dan Harmon likes it when people literally go down into basements. Right. And they're literally down in a basement. This is. That this, happens after the thre- they cross the threshold. Right. This is the bottom. The we're at the bottom of the circle. Okay, so um, is anybody getting that? We're at an emotional high point or low point right now. If people are either getting what they want or coming to terms with the fact that the thing that they wanted was the wrong thing. I mean, she's getting what she she has just achieved her goal of the second quarter of exposing the conspiracy. The conspiracy is con- she's is not exposed, exposed shit. Yeah, she's told the police about this conspiracy. She she yeah, she's alerted the, the police that, to like, this conspiracy. Uh, you might tell in Rosemary's Baby, uh, right? She might tell Charles Grodin that <laughs> that what's going on. No, the police. The but police believe he her. doesn't believe her. <laughs> the police believe her. In this case, she has exposed the conspiracy. Police believe her. But she's, it's about to go very wrong. Oh, good. So the, the atonement with a father, the suffering. Yes. The police arrive, but the prisoners don't let him in. Some of the prisoners want to kill Amy and Coletta for revenge. Others want to use them as hostages to negotiate with the police. Coletta thinks that she can manipulate them because she knows so much about them from their pet scan data. But she just pisses them off, and they decide to kill her. Amy begs them not to. The prisoners decide to kill them both, but Johnston, the one that they proved was really guilty, unexpectedly saves Amy and Coletta. Fighting one, fighting one of the prisoners to death you? to save her. Oh, Somebody's got to die. Yes, that's about to happen. Okay. The prisoners decide to kill them both, but Johnston, the one that they proved was really guilty, unexpectedly saves them, fighting fighting one of the prisoners to the death to save her. Okay, okay. Why is he motivated to fight somebody to death to save somebody he doesn't know, and he's just a technocrat? I it, It's too much to have him fight one to the death. 
Johnson, who has been saying we shouldn't kill him, suddenly is willing to fight this prisoner, not to the death, but is willing to fight this prisoner and say, no, 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 well, we're not going to kill him, we're going to negotiate. It's not like Prince Caspian, they're getting into like a, 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 like right. a circle, like, it's like, some right. kind of, like the, maybe somebody runs at her and he yeah. jumps in the way yeah. to exactly. defend her, but it's not like, I shall be the champion no. of Coletta. No. <laughs> so he says, I told you I wasn't guilty. Johnston tries to convince the prisoners that they should... But that doesn't prove anything. No. The fact that he saved... It doesn't. It very much doesn't. And I don't want the... I don't want the viewer to be sure about this. You could literally have her say, I told you I wasn't guilty. And Amy says, well, that doesn't prove shit. Yeah, she should say that doesn't prove And that would be like, whenever a a character can say something that the audience is thinking anyway, that's always always great. That is good. So then Johnston tries to convince the prisoners that they should destroy the machine instead before they lose control of the prison. That doesn't do anything. There are many copies of this machine, and they know that the, the machine blueprints exist. Uh, this, well, this is not just destroying not, the, ri- the ring of Sauron. Like, not, it doesn't destroy the problem to destroy this machine. That's not what, It does, because if you would let me finish my sentence. Okay. Johnson tries to convince the prisoners that they should destroy the machine instead before they lose control of the prison because it's filled with false data implying that they should never be let out. They they want to destroy Why the Why do they think that the data is only on this machine? We live in this is twenty nineteen. Data lives in the cloud. It's everywhere. Like the, the data doesn't just sit on think... one computer. That's not that's not how data works. I disagree. I, I disagree one hundred percent. As somebody that... who used to be a software engineer and you, somebody who like uses Google Docs and you, shit is not how data works. You think that if if I were to go in for a PET scan today, that as they were taking the PET scan, they would not be recording my PET scan data onto a hard drive. You think they would be uploading it to the cloud the whole time they were PET scanning me? I would say that yes. I, I would I would say that data just does not live on just one machine. I think it does. I think there's still such a thing as having a machine that is recording its data onto a hard disk. Anyway, I think that for the purposes of this thriller, we can have the data just be on a hard disk. Okay, Johnson tries to convince the prisoners they should destroy the machine instead before they lose control of the prison because it's filled with false data implying they should never be let out. Amy says she'll purge all the data they've collected. If that's what it takes, let them go. Clyder reluctantly agrees. Reeves agrees to take Amy and Clyder down to the machine to wipe it. As Why takes- do they trust her? Why do they trust Amy that she'll purge the data? What what relationship has she, they trust, she established with, with Reeves and et cetera? They think that they have to trust her because she's the only one who can, and that they trust Reeves to well, monitor well, them. I mean, but what's more trustworthy, destroying the machine or trusting this white woman who just came in and, you know, says she'll do it? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Okay. So as Reeves takes Amy and Clutter down, Clutter is being insulting again, and Reeves suddenly gets fed up, snaps, and kills her before he had planned Whoa, to do what, so. What, wait, what, what, what? <laughs> Amy is shocked and realizes that she's next. Reeves doesn't want his plans ruined. Now that he has PET scan evidence proving he's innocent because he knows how to deceive the machine, he won't have it wiped. Okay, this is you taking my advice here. That means Coletta had to die and that now Amy has to die as well. Amy gets away using... Amy gets... So this is this is my first... <laughs> this is the best. Hey, uh, can I just say what, what Matt wrote here? <laughs> Here's what Point I wrote. 22. Amy gets away using some skill that has been ironically pre-established. Amazing. And, and then and Amazing. I wrote... And then subs go into that... Did she, does she finally need to learn out how to lie? Does she finally need to learn out how to tell truth from a lie? Something, something. And this is where, this is where she has to have a dad in prison, you know, either falsely or correctly or something. There has to be something that ties into, this is the part where you've got to reach deep down inside her, yada, yada, yada. Oh my and, God, do you, you, <laughs> I, I pointed this out in our first or second episode. You're giving a story idea and you immediately, you started to have contempt for your own idea. Yeah. And I called it out. 
it's like if you're not enthusiastic about your own idea every step of the way, it's a bad idea. When you That's say not something true, happened, James. yada yada that yada, that is not true. Every idea. I don't think George Lucas ever said, "Okay, he goes to Death Star and I don't know, he, he flies the trench, did. yada yada yada." He blows it up. You he, cannot write a story without a few yada yadas. You cannot not hold at the your, climax. You cannot hold yourself to the standard of going like. Okay, when I write my beat sheet, not even a treatment, not even a first draft, when I write my beat sheet, I can't go like, something happens, I'm not sure what, or some even some emotion happens, I'm not sure what. Put it that way, but say yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you have contempt for your own material. Anyway, I'm, so, I'm, I'm asking you to, to I'm, I'm not being difficult, I'm saying give your story the honor it deserves. Yeah. Be respectful to your own creation. Okay, so... Amy gets away. Reeves chases her through the prison trying to kill her. She has to kill him instead to save herself. The rioting prisoners discover her standing over Reeves' body and chase her. She ends up trapped inside the pet scan trailer. She holds them off with a fire axe. Finally, she takes the axe and dramatically destroys the pet scan machine in order to prove that the data won't be used against them. They back down. Just then, the police retake the prison and whisk Amy to safety. Two years later... I think... I don't know if they back down. It causes a momentary pause. Yes. In yes. which the police come in. The idea of, like... They all look at each other and say, <laughs> no, you know what? They drop their shoes. Right. Yeah, yeah. One by one, the <laughs> knives drop to the ground. And then <laughs> a, a single tear goes down the face clap. of a muscle-bound man. <laughs> um, it hits the ground in slow motion. They, they group hug, slow clap. Uh, you know, no, they, they momentarily, that causes them to momentarily back off, to momentarily hesitate when she destroys, they see that she's destroying the machine with the axe. Just then, the police retake the prison and whisk Amy to I, safety. I feel... I, I feel uncomfortable in which something is resolved by the police show up yeah it is but she's i mean obviously at some point she cannot defeat each of the 500 prisoners single-handedly at some she point can the get out of the prison in a way that they can't follow her i feel like it's she has been badass enough Thank for God long the enough police that the police can show up is a kind of like it's it makes me pretty feel common bad. in horror movies it happens in horror movies like it happened in get out i'm sorry but that was a complete ironic reversal in yeah. get out yeah, it didn't happen and get out at all. Like the ironic reversal of it happening. I feel out. like I worried about it as I wrote it because I feel like oh, these days it's like the you police... need to have a strong woman protagonist. She can't be rescued. No, no, but you, you're you're like thinking too too many levels deep. The police retake the prison. Like what is her, uh, what is her uh, moment of making herself vulnerable to the divine? Um, oh, as no. we were saying in the last episode. Oh no! Like she's like they back. She destroys a pet scan. They back down and the police show up and they solve everything. I think maybe it would have to be a moment of like, she destroys the best guy and they're like, you think that's going to save you? And she would have to go like, you know, no, and sort of prostrate herself. Like, no, I didn't do that for you. I didn't do that to save myself. I did it because it needed to be destroyed. You know, I realize nothing will save me from you now. And then that would be the moment of the divine. That would be the moment of grace. The moment of the the divine would really be is if she puts something physically on the line. She says something like that. And then she walks into the crowd, and then they, <laughs> yeah. they part away from her or something like that. <laughs> well, that's she, too much, but yeah. But, but, you, but oh, I'm something sorry, something where, analogous to that. Something, yeah, you know something I mean? where she where she surrenders to them, and then the police come in. Something like that. Okay, so two years later, Amy gives a talk about her new book, about how PET scan science really is the new phrenology, attempting to quantify ineffable mental processes into numbers. Jason surprisingly approaches her afterwards. It's awkward. He points out that she should have to pay him a royalty every time she calls a PET scan machine a phrenology machine. Amy smiles and says she thanked him for that language in the footnotes. He tells her that she wrote a great book. He wants her back. He's willing to be a better guy. She's tempted. Then he says something that Reeves had also said to her. She smiles. She won't get fooled again. The end. All right. I want to 
be a little bit in love with Coletta. I think Coletta should be a kind of a glamorous figure. Yeah. People who are grad students tend to identify and have what psychologists call transference hmm. with their mentors. Yeah. They want to kind of be like them. Yeah. I think that she should be speaking very highly of Coletta in the first scene when she's making dinner. And then when Coletta gives her the humiliation, it really cuts deeply. Yeah. You almost see she's dressing like her. Yeah. The, the same dramatic scarves, long flowing skirts, whatever. They have an, a real intimacy. Uh-huh. Like maybe yeah. even when they're bonding as they drive to the prison, Coletta could put on her lipstick and Amy can go like, you know, what shade is that? Do you mind if I put some on? Passing the chalice. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you want to do it, but something, yeah. something like that. And so she can't be overhearing it. She has to be invited into yeah, this I think golden circles. Yeah. And, and then I don't yet feel any kind of intimacy or interesting aspect of the relationship with Reeves, the prisoner. Yeah. I, I want to know who he is and what. And I know you're just writing a beat sheet here, but so far this is like Silence of the Lambs, but you've got what's the relationship between Clarice Starling and whoever the guy is, the director of the FBI. Yeah. And so he just kind of shuffles off stage in Silence of the Lambs and comes back in later. But I like the idea of like, it's a story of somebody and their mentor and somebody breaking away from their mentor. Yeah. Trying to plot their own course. Unfortunately, it's the course that her boyfriend was right about in the first scene. Yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? I mean, it's really hard What writing... if her boyfriend is more quant than she is? He's a math major. He thinks yeah. everything is numbers. Yeah. And she's like, well, there's a human aspect to it, too. And he's like, no, there's not. And, and then like, she's kind of more, like, kind of pushing against that. You, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I wanted to have a voice of... I wanted to have someone for her to push against earlier, and I'm like... Yeah, but are people, can you really write a story in 2019 in which a man and a woman have a disagreement in the first scene and then it turns out at the end of the movie that the man was right? You wrote it. <laughs> like, you just wrote it. Again, but would anybody actually want to actually make that movie? No. In 2019. So you should change that. <laughs> one would like to think one could still tell such stories, but uh, maybe not. Maybe, especially a man can't write such a story. Well, well, I, the thing is, the story has been told many, many times. Yeah. So you want to tell a story that maybe hasn't been told so many times. Yeah. Uh, um, um, but what I want to get to, just talking about the story, is that we need to have more characters. And in Silence of the Lambs, we have a Hannibal Lecter. And yeah. we need to know who this Reeves guy is. And so far, all these prisoners are just people who... Basically, the PET scan is right. They're all killers. So yeah. you're kind of taking the side of punitive... Well, not Johnston. Uh, Johnston turns out to be, you know, saves them. Uh-huh. But, but en masse, they're a rioting group of killers. Yeah. I think so anybody would come away from this walking around and say, well, I mean, one or two aside, and I think I'm going to take that as a rounding error they should be in prison <laughs> they should be kept in prison forever you, you know what i mean yeah. so, so i don't know if you're making the point that you want to make yeah now there would if have you could to make be. it as like a more deliberate like kind of like a battle for dignity or a revolution for for decency it's one thing but like they're just rioting and they're saying we're gonna kill you bitch yeah. You know, and, and that's not, we're this not going to be idea, on the James. You were the one who insisted on the riot. I, well, had, that, a, you know, I had a blizzard. Yeah, you it had was a perfectly a nice, nice blizzard. <laughs> a very nice, morally inert, uh, <laughs> neutral blizzard. And yeah. you just said no, because you don't like prisoners. You don't like the poor, wretched, suffering souls of the earth who uh-huh. are suffering in prison. You said they had to riot. And so I made them riot at uh-huh. your demand. And now we are dehumanizing these people once again. Uh-huh. It is it is awful what you have done. I, I pass over what you said in silence. 
No, you're right. It's it's you have. I would have to be very tricky in the humanization of it. I would have to have this not be a dehumanizing thing. I would have to, you know, I mean, riots happen. There are a lot of horrible people in prison. But well, I mean, I would have to watch a lot of episodes of Lockup. I would have to do a tremendous <laughs> or you, amount of work. You could meet actual prisoners. Yeah, or even even more. You could so. go and I mean, people they like, do writing classes in prisons. Oh, yeah. You could just go take Secrets of Story. Even better, and, and go up to Joliet and have fun. You know, it's funny, when I worked for Tom Fontana, there was this very awkward moment where it turned out I'd never seen an episode of Oz, and I didn't tell him, I decided to just let it pass, and I didn't tell him the reason I never watched Oz is because my best friend from elementary school ended up in prison, basically for life, Mm -hmm. and I just didn't want to think about horrible things happening to him in prison. So I never watched Oz. I, I don't know if he's in or out right now. He's been in and out a lot. So that's one reason I would never actually write the screenplay. Because mm. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't well, really want to know what really happens. You're facing your fear. Um, yeah. So I think that she needs to, before the guns coming out and people are like running around and trying to kill each other, she, we have to figure out what her relationship with Reeves is. So we're, I'm guessing it's not going to be a Hannibal Lecter relationship in which she's like, Clarice, tell me about <laughs> yeah. the, the lambs. Like, maybe she has a real friendship with him, you know? Maybe, like, there is some kind of intimacy or give and take or... Or, or sexual. I mean, no, 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 no. It's quick and easy and seductive and wrong yeah, to do to, that. What you, what's much more interesting to do is a friendship. Yeah. It's also harder. Yeah. She thinks of everything in terms of numbers, and she has to see yeah. people. I don't know what he has to get over, the distrust of people like her, but maybe they just have some human fucking moments. I mean, they well, basically I this like... whole thing proceeds like a machine, click, 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 and one thing goes into the other. And I think you need to have those moments of just like people being human with each other, even if it's as simple as the people sitting around and eating lunch together in Aliens and saying, I guess you no. didn't like the cornbread either. Well, that's that's the big challenge of getting a beat sheet, turning a beat sheet into a novel or into a screenplay. Boy, it's hard because you're like, okay, I've got the beats, I've got the bones, I've got the skeleton. I know what has to happen on around what page. And it just doesn't have any life. It doesn't I, have any humanity. Yeah, to it. I wonder if this says something more about the idea of making beat sheets than it does about. I think, yeah. I think usually when people make something that's worth watching, they try to write it. They fail. Yeah. And they iterate it. Yeah. But but and, I did it, that. To be fair, I did that. I wrote this. It was awful. Uh-huh. I wrote in an underthought, underthought out, undercooked version of this. It was mm-hmm. awful. And then 12 years later, I went back and made a beat sheet of it. Okay. You have destroyed a lot of things that I have shown to you. you I don't know, think, I, I think I've been destructive today. You I've, have not been destructive today. So is... Should I should I beg for compliments? Do you think I did a I good job, James? Know. This is your... I took your notes... I tried to make it work your way, Dad, for once. <laughs> what? I, how do you think I did, James? I don't think that you, if what you're saying is like what you did is reflective of me, I think that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't think I took your notes? I, I, no, I, I, think, I think this is not anything that I would have written or... or no. Think, I, I feel that's that, not the point of notes. <laughs> the point of notes is not... Here's, 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 what, I'm, here's, what, here's what I'm very uh, happy about. The, the thing that I didn't expect that you would do, based on what the 14-minute thing that we said before, is this relationship with the Amy and Coletta. Uh-huh. I'm very interested in this relationship between Good. Amy and Coletta. So much so that I feel Coletta is the big boss. Yeah. Maybe Coletta should not be gunned down three-fourths of the way through. 
You, you know, it's like, tricky. It's tricky to figure out when to kill her. When I realized that Reeves had to engage in some horrific, which we'd established before, that Reeves had to do some horrific murder that would reveal his true nature to Amy, I'm like, well, it's got to be Coletta. You know, even though that, that you know, if it's going to be a shocking murder, it's going to get me and Coletta isn't going to get the big finale you would maybe want for that character. What if the boyfriend insists on accompanying her? Yeah, and then he can get killed. Yeah, or comes to rescue her, like Halloran in The Shining. Yeah. Gets killed. I think, as I said before, maybe I'm, I haven't, but there's no such thing as characters. There's only relationships. Relationships are interesting. Characters that's, aren't. That's sort of a more extreme version of something I say in my book, but uh, that's that's interesting to push well, it that far. Luke, in the, he's a farm boy. He's naive. Yeah. But like, in relation to Han Solo, it's interesting. In relationship to Ben Kenobi, it's interesting. You know, just like, he's a farm boy alone. What's his favorite color? What's his lucky yeah. number? He, you know, alone. But in relation to somebody else, but, all kinds of things pop up. But he doesn't meet Hans Owen until an hour into the movie. Right. We see him in relationship to Uncle Owen. Yeah. That's one Luke Skywalker. And then we see yeah. him in relationship to R2-D2. That's another one. No, I see totally in relationship agree. with Ben Kenobi. It's a different Luke. He's a different Luke every time. And so I want to see relationships. I don't yeah. really care about characters. I only care about relationships. And so I when that's... I talk about this relationship between Amy and Coletta, not only is that a relationship that's interesting, it's a relationship we don't see very often. She has yeah. two professional women one of them who is kind of a mentor of the other but there's a kind of all about eve kind of like i have the power and you don't but i'm the one who's coming up and i might have the new ideas and you don't and that's interesting and and but like i feel jealous but i i but i want what you have i'm afraid of what you what you can do to me and back and forth that's very interesting and there's a lot to get out of that but i don't feel that with reeves yeah I agree. It's the, not there yet. It's and, and so I, I wanted. And so, but I do feel that with Clarice and Hannibal Lecter, there is a relationship. There. Oh yeah. And, I mean, and, I, and I, like... I think I think it's a relationship that would even exist in a beat shit. In a beat sheet. In a beat shit. I think I just uh, kind of uh, did a Freudian slip there. But you, you know what I mean? Like, like I think that you could have written in the beat sheet. He is very cultured. She is not very cultured at all, but she's trying very yeah. hard to jump up a class. Oh, that would be interesting. If he were, I had pictured him as being lower class. If he were upper class, that might be interesting. If he were, if he well, were Well, now someone, we're getting very close into the silent line. Yeah, we're getting close into the silent It is, it's tricky. You know, if he was like a professor who was falsely accused of something, if he were somebody, a composer who was falsely accused of something, uh, that would be a different sort of thing. I had she... pictured him sort of being a working class Okay, wizard. there's a thousand people in this prison. Yeah, she picks out the one guy. She looks through like what, what, like what are their files, and then not fate threw them together, but she's interested in him because he had the same job that her father had. Yeah, yeah, I do think there has to be a connection between him and her father, which is tricky. And again, it's sort of like sort of makes me roll my eyes, but I feel uh, like you have to go there to a certain extent, which I'm not going to do. By the way, America, I am still giving this idea away. Wait, here's another I'm thing. I'm now giving away a much, I'm giving you a much more complete idea I have than I've idea. ever given away before. Why isn't it a women's prison? Da-da-da. Big twist. That Why would, is it dudes? <laughs> it could would, be a women's prison. But at some point, I become the I become the wrong writer for this movie. But hey, but I'm giving it away. Hey. Wait, wait, you already have this relationship <laughs> between Amy and Coletta yeah. that you... You know, I guess you admit that you're not competent to write. So why not make all these minor characters that you haven't put any? I feel like, like I am competent for the Amy Coletta relationship. Amy, I feel like I'm competent not competent to write, that, to write the prisoners. Write the pr- why? Why not? Why can't you write the prisoners? If you can write Amy Coletta, you can write the prisoners. Because I have been, I have been an Ivy League TA, and I have never been a prisoner. <laughs> okay, you've never been a prisoner of dudes either. Like, why would it be different that it's the, that the prisoners are women? Yeah. No, I. 
I agree. I'm equally. <laughs> I, so I, if I it's equal either way, it would be equally hard for me to write either way. But uh, no, I'm just saying that writing an all-female screenplay when you're a man is maybe not maybe means you're not the best person to write it. Okay, but the, putting that aside, don't, did you did you, when I said what if it's an all-female prison? You said dun dun dun. You said that, but I also saw your eyes kind of oh, sparkle yeah. a little bit. I think I think that's the sort of note that's like. Holy shit! If I take that note, <laughs> this whole thing would change. But it I is, think right now you're stuck I, in these. did kind of sparkle. You, you're stuck in these. I mean, obviously, Orange is the New Black is going to loom over this whole conversation. Right. However, like I think you were stuck in this outline with like here's a bunch of tough dudes yeah. that could be so tough that they might riot, and then their characters didn't go anywhere beyond that. Yeah. And when I said, "What if it's a women's prison?" Suddenly, it seemed to be like. And also, it might have to do a lot more to do with like the uh, the themes of what's going on. And there might be a prisoner who's kind of like a dark side of Car- Coletta. Yeah. The, the, some prisoner, some prisoner who's an ex professor who maybe a humanities professor or something like that that she really gets along with. It is like a different kind of mentor from her quant mentor. Yeah. And here's a humanities mentor who's a murderer. I think that's very interesting. I mean, we're interested in like Reeves. Who, like, oh, maybe he's really charming and they fuck. <laughs> Must you make everything so crude? You um, did! Whoa, whoa, you whoa, whoa, did! Whoa. You said that! <laughs> I, I, you said that! You, are, you said that I they am, have the romantic thing. I, you said that! I am trying to please you, Daddy. I am trying to <laughs> I am trying to tell you what you want to hear, and every time you 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 use it and you you attack it, you belittle it, I, I feel like Amy <laughs> and you're my Jason. Um, uh, so, okay. So we have been talking for a long time. We should probably wrap this up. Oh my God. We just made a breakthrough. We did. You want to wrap it up now? It's a women's prison. I feel like a breakthrough is a great time to wrap things up. I feel like, no, I'm not. It is currently 1.22 AM in Evanston, Illinois. And I'm not going to reconceive this as being a women's prison movie (laughs) by, by the dawn. But, uh, I think that, I think it's a great place to end. I think you've blown us up. We're going out on a bang. I think that's a great idea. I think it would be a totally different movie. I think it would not be a movie I would write, but I think that that, that could be a fascinating way to take this material. And guess what, America? You can, because I'm going to post my three-page treatment. I, I've never given away an idea this big, America, but I'm giving away an idea this big today. So the point of today's exercise, I think, was I was like, what if I took the worst thing I ever wrote and applied, first of all, it was the worst thing I wrote. I thought it was irredeemable. I pitched it to you and you were like, eh, there's ways to maybe fix this. And then it was terribly written, completely ill-conceived the way I wrote it. And then you said, oh, you know, there's some interesting things you could do with this. You sort of caused it to come alive again in my mind. And then I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and just put this through the checklist, which is something I've never really done because I sort of warn against it in the book is take an idea and then walk it through the checklist. I promise you all of your acolytes do it that way, though. I tell them very specifically not to, but I think it kind of worked. I think there are pros and cons to it. And I, I think, think in some ways it helped this project. And in this has jolted it to a very good beginning. Yeah. However, in the in like the end of the second act and the third act, I think it started to fall. Apart. I think I really because the first act specifically was so terrible and the actual draft I wrote, I think that this was largely this beat sheet I was much more inspired to rewrite act one than I was to rewrite the rest of this it. This is what this beat so, sheet tells me. Movies are about and stories about relationships. They're not about plot. 
Yeah. They're about the evolution of relationships. Once you understand the relationship, then you can get a plot. If you have a plot and then you're trying to backload a relationship into it, you're dead. They, Did, if, once you, they, if they, if they, oh, I don't think you're dead. But, I don't think okay, you're dead. But when, when you, if, I think once you I say Amy and Coletta, and when we started to get to the meat of what their relationship could really be, then that started to inform the plot in a much no. better way. I don't think you're dead. I think that you can start with character, you can start with plot, you can start with relationships, which you're saying is better than starting with either character or plot. Characters don't exist, only relationships exist. And But you can't, that can't be the only way to write. You've got to be able to write plot first. To just declare that that is not allowed, that is a big declaration. You, you, you did it, and it didn't work. And we started talking about relationships, and it started to come alive. But I'm still writing plot first. I still have the plot first. Uh-huh. But you always say you're worried that I'm going to give advice that's going to shut people down. I think telling people they can't write plot first, that is advice that's going to shut a lot of people down. Because I think a lot of people backfill in characters from relationships, and there has to be a way you can make that work. But it's risky. It's very risky way to write. And I'm I a character first person. we're exploring those risks. Yeah. I think character first might slow you down in terms of, like, you can't find the relationship. Really, I mean, I, I, I'm not a character first person. I'm a relationship first person. And, like, I that might slow you down because it's more difficult to find a relationship than it is to find a character mm-hmm. i remember i would i would teach these classes in northwestern and the kids would they say oh God, i've got all my characters in my for my for my short story i was like oh what are they and they'd <laughs> present them all to me individually it's yeah. like okay this is gorgar he's half man half wolf his favorite color is blue his lucky number is nine his favorite food is pie well all these things are only about them and then they put them all in a story together, and it's like falls apart. It's like because they're all individual atoms that they're monads that are utterly self-sufficient, have nothing to do with each other. People only make sense in relationship to each other. In fact, people don't even exist until they are brought into relationship with each other. Because every person that you come into relationship with changes who you are. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. It is super late. I th- Here's what I like about this. Yes, I never expected that you were going to bring out this relationship of Amy and Coletta. Yeah. That's the most exciting thing about this. Yeah. I'm excited about the idea of the real-life national pain of false metrics. Yeah. I'm interested in the idea of a movie that takes aim at for-profit prisons. Yeah. But a lot of the other stuff seems contrived. Yeah. It definitely is. But I think that if you commit to character, that will solve all of your problems. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Great. Well, that's. I think that's all to put together. That's by far the nicest thing you've ever said about anything you've uh, you've read of mine. You know, I hope that you I feel... literally blurbed your fucking book. <laughs> On the back of your fiction, book, fiction, oh fiction. Oh my god, I should say you nonfiction. Where, where you, does it you've say? You've had a lot of nice things. Oh my to god, say. Matt Bird has cracked the code on how satisfying stories worked. His insights will sharpen your plots, freshen your characters, listen to these verbs, and liberate your imagination. I always come away from reading Matt Bird feeling inspired and invigorated, says James Kennedy, author of The Order of Fish. And then you had the, tem- after I, you had the temerity to say, I never, I never say anything nice about your writing. How dare you, sir? How dare I? How dare you? How dare I? Um, good point. Um, so, yes. Well, uh, so this is good. Do you feel like I have met your like a... I put a lot more on the line. You put more on the line. You wrote, you actually wrote out a script like, and I did not do that. Uh, but um, the, but I, I, I think uh, I'll call it evens. You'll call it even. Uh, and I, I, I would love to do a Leica with you one day that you have written. Uh, it'll never happen. No. Um, but I, I want, I, I feel good that you have put it on the line. Okay, great. All right, I I crave your approval even more so than the glowing blurb that you wrote in my book. Um, okay, 
But wait, there's more. I know this episode is long, but James insisted I add a little bit here in the end because I sent him an email saying that I realized he was right about certain things. And he's like, wait, you have to put that in the episode. So let me just quickly summarize the things that I later realized he was right about. I told him, listening to it again, I realize you're right about the threat to take the machine out into society. That's not their immediate plan, but they should mention a pilot program to test all high school seniors or all welfare recipients or something like that. That would chill the audience more. I also think this should be a supermax prison for those convicted of the most heinous crimes, and the warden should be a Joe Arpaio type guy, which helps explain why they're so violently quick to riot and kill the warden. Also, maybe an Amy and Reeves get to the room with a landline, but Kaleida has destroyed it, but Reeves says he knows of a prisoner with a contraband cell phone in his cell, and they can use that, and they find the prisoner and have to tell him what's going on to get his hidden phone from him, but then he steals their pass card and gets away and tells everybody what's going on and frees them all. That's better than having a prison janitor overhear it. And, you know, the more I think about it, her dad should be in prison, and the final scene of the movie, if you want real emotion, should be her finally visiting her dad in prison, and her dad is like, how can I ever convince you of my version of events? How can I convince you that I'm telling the truth? And instead of mentioning the pet scan, she just says, let's talk. And those should be the final words of the movie. That's what I think. Okay, so let's go ahead and get back to the original wrap-up. James, thanks for coming out tonight. Well, thank you very much. I'm always glad to be here. America, have a wonderful time. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James's novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at jameskennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com slash secretsofstory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story 1 and at I am James Kennedy. Our music is by Head and Kime. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.